This is Paul Schneiderman today on Sports and Stuff. This is the 16th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today on Sports and Stuff, we have a very special guest. We have a renowned sports and performance psychologist, Dr. Ross Flowers, Ph.D. Ross, uh, hang tight for a second. I want to give a little introduction of you to the listeners and the kind of work you do. Then we'll uh, begin with some questions and answers. Ross is a Seattle native. It's a pleasure to have Ross on my show. I want to share the listeners. I had uh, knew Ross a little bit in my growing up years in Seattle. And uh, although I was mostly on the bench, Ross was much more a player. We were on a junior, junior high uh, basketball team at one time. So we have a little tie. So it's fun to have a, a guest on sports and stuff where I had a direct connection growing up. And Ross is uh, unique that way. Ross Flowers is a 1989 graduate of Seattle's Garfield High School. Ross was a track star at UCLA with a BA in psychology. Ross has been a Division I coach, and Dr. Flowers has a doctorate in uh, philosophy and counseling psychology. Hopefully I got that right, from the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Ross is the principal of Giles Consulting Group based in California. Take a look at the website, gilesllc.com. You can also find Ross on Facebook and Twitter. Ross has worked with many populations as a psychologist that include the California Department of Corrections, student-athletes and their parents, the uh, National Basketball Players Association. Ross is the director of sports performance psychology for the Los Angeles Clippers of the NBA. Ross has worked um, with the U.S. Olympic Committee as a sports psychologist. Uh, Ross founded and directed the Applied Sport Psychology Program at the University of California, Davis. Ross is also the author of a very interesting and acclaimed book, Came out in 2014, Introducing Your Child to Sports and Experts' Answers to Parents' Questions about Raising a Healthy, Balanced, and Happy Child. Uh, it's a very readable book. It's been profiled on CBS News and some other media outlets. Uh, the Olympic great Al Joyner wrote a forward to it. Ross, we're going to ask, uh, talk about your career, ask some questions about youth sports and sports psychology. First of all, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I appreciate you having me, Paul. It's great to reconnect. No doubt about it, Ross. Um, Ross, why you, here's a basic question I'll ask you. I, I'm a guy who didn't do so great in psychology classes in college, but uh, tell us exactly what, a, what sports psychology is. Well, the way I describe it when I first introduced myself to a team or to coaches or anyone is there's two sides of it. Uh, one is the clinical side. If there are individual issues of anxiety, stress, uh, depression, uh, reaction to new changes in environment, a culture development, those are areas where a licensed psychologist will come in and, and help a student athlete or a coach or, or a program work through some of those more clinical issues. Uh, on the other side of it is a performance side. And the performance side deals with areas of motivation, attention, uh, focus, uh, developing team dynamics, player-to-player -player communication, player-to-coach communication, uh, and, and, and enhancing a culture. So those are two parts of how I approach being a sport performance psychologist. So there's a practical and a theoretical side to it, right, Ross? For sure. Absolutely. Gotcha. So, Ross, uh, you're a Seattle native. We're all, all proud of you. You grew up in, uh, we grew up in the same hometown. And why don't you tell us, Ross, Ross about how you embarked on the career uh, as a sports psychologist. Tell us what led you in that direction. Yeah, well, as you know, I grew up playing a variety of sports as a kid uh, and, and found my calling in track and field by the time I was in high school. Uh, so I went to UCLA expecting to be, you know, an outstanding track and field athlete. But unfortunately, my first year, I had a major injury. And I, stretched, I had stress fractures in my right tibia, my right shin bone. And 
as I was going through rehab process, I ended up having surgery. I, I met a man on campus named Bill Parham, and I just thought he was a you know interesting individual would come and ask questions about not my necessarily my athletic career, but what I want to do outside of sport if I couldn't come back to running. And I kind of blew it off initially, like, you know, why are you asking all these questions about what I want to do with my degree and what are my interests and what are my hobbies outside of sport? I was like, it's distracting. I'm trying to get my rehab together, right? (laughs) Uh, But I was actually dating someone at the time on campus who was a gymnast. And she said, oh, that's Dr. Parm. He comes and talks to our team every day or every week. And he's also helps us through areas of challenge and struggle and growth. And the more I was going through my rehab, I spent more time talking to Dr. Parm, and I ended up getting back on track and competing, but I found out more about him and his background in sports psychology. This happened to also be an African-American male on campus, and then my hurdle coach at the time, Dr. Tommy Lee White, was completing his doctorate in sports psychology at USC. So between the two of them, both African-American men, they were very influential in helping me understand what I knew about myself going through transitions of being an outstanding high school athlete, but coming to a, you know, a great program in track and field at the time at UCLA, and how to kind of navigate those waters. And it helped me understand more about myself, how I, what I knew about sport, how I could articulate what I knew about sport to others, but also how I related well to people. And they encouraged me, say, if, if you're interested, this would be a great field I think you could do very well in. Um, and so as I completed college, I took a couple years off to run, you know, the semi-pro professional level. And I came back to those two gentlemen and they said, hey, if you're really interested, we can get you, in, we could, we'd encourage you to pursue a degree in counseling psychology, get your doctorate. Because uh, I said, you know, I, I really want to spend another eight years in school. And so they encouraged me, well, with your BA, the level of work you've done at this point, the research you've done and your experience as an athlete and a coach, you could probably get right into a doctoral program. So that's what I did. I went straight into the University of Missouri, Kansas City for my bachelor's to a doctorate program, which is kind of unheard of at that time because most people went through a master's program first. Sure. But because I was, I was focused on what I want to do and what kind of work I want to do, I was fortunate enough to be accepted in that program and really start a track at University of Missouri, Kansas City that was not there before of pursuing a degree in counseling psychology but with an area of emphasis in sport and performance, which now they've included as a full academic track. Uh, so I was able to complete that program in three, three and a half years. Wow. And uh, I was, so at that time, I think it's still similar. There is an internship opportunity you have to complete at the end of your doctorate program. And I was matched with the University of California, Davis. And I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about UC Davis. Uh, I actually wanted to come back to Southern California area. Uh, so as you know, growing up in Seattle, it's wet, it's raining most of the time, overcast. <laughs> I fell in love with Southern California. <laughs> it was just sunshine when I went to undergrad. Not the only one, Ross. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back to LA, LA area, but uh, was actually very fortunate to be placed at UC Davis because it was, it was a great program for me to further my development as a psychologist, but also the opportunity to create a an applied sports psychology program where I connected the counseling center and the athletic department. Uh, I a great director of the counseling center and an athletic director who saw the opportunity to merge the two and really help students and coaches become you know, better individuals and better performers. So it was a great career start for me uh, and allowed me to, at that, from that point, launch myself into so many other areas of performance in 
and work with the military, the Olympics, and now professional sports in NFL and NBA. That's great. Seems like a natural fit for you, Ross, with your uh, background as an athlete as well. This is uh, Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Dr. Ross Flowers. Ross, what was your dissertation on? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> I was Thinking curious. Back about 16 years. <laughs> um, I actually looked at the difference between firstborn and laterborns in individual and team performance. Uh, and because I was at that time a graduate assistant coach at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, I had access to a lot of Division One track and field athletes. Uh, so I uh, had a, a tool that I looked at the some interesting differences between firstborn and latterborns. And the results, if I recall correctly, that firstborns carried more pre-competition anxiety than their laterborns um, in, in individual and team competition. You know, Ross, in your book, I did finish your book um, a day or two ago, and I, I think in your book you have a little section on that subject, don't you? Yeah, you know, and when I wrote the book, Introducing Your Child to Sports, uh, it's really off of my experience um, as a later-born sibling. I have an older brother, Chris, who is a great athlete, now a great professional. Um, so I, that experience, but also my own children. So I have three boys, now 8, 10, and 12. And combining that with my experience through all my professional career, talking with parents and coaches and athletes about how to develop children through sport kind of prompted me to write this book because I figured there's there, at that point in 2013, 14, there's nothing out there that was addressing how parents can positively introduce their kids to sports uh, and both the child and the parents enjoy the process. I think sport is a, is a great learning opportunity, uh, but there just wasn't anything out there that I saw that was beneficial. For well, it's a very interesting book, Ross. I'm going to get to it in a couple minutes. Uh, what are some common psychological challenges, Ross, that you've seen in elite athletes? Are, are anger management issues among them? Yeah, I, I think anger is a general category that we, that we label. Uh, however, before someone's angry, they have to usually be sad or afraid. And I think if we're able to get a little deeper beyond just the surface of, well, we see anger, we see emotion, well, there's usually something behind that emotion. And if we can take the time to understand the individual, uh, whether it's an athlete, a coach, or a parent, whomever, what's causing the sadness, what's causing the fear, then we're really addressing the issue. But those are, those are two big areas that I think we can work on uh, and, and identify and address with athletes and coaches before we get to labeling it as there's an anger issue. Interesting way of looking at it. Okay, Ross, this is kind of maybe a, a layperson question. It may not be... Um, the most sophisticated question. I'm curious about something, Ross. Do you think that an average athlete can become an exceptional athlete through positive sports psychology? Or is it more realistic to think that an athlete can get modestly better with the right psychological counseling? Well, I think it depends on the level. Um, and I, what I mean by level, uh, level of experience, level of athletic competition. Uh, for sure, at, at younger ages, lower levels of performance and competition, there's a huge growth curve, I believe, because if we can teach young people how to not only be developing agility, balance, and coordination, ABCs of performance, but we're teaching them how to understand themselves, their environment, how to communicate, how to articulate what they know about themselves, I think we'll see huge growth. Uh, but when we get to higher levels of performance and we're introducing sports psychology for the first time to a professional athlete or an Olympic athlete, 
uh, you, you might see small changes. Uh, but again, you know, it may vary on the individual. You could see a huge growth because maybe that athlete has a great athletic ability and performance, but they've just never been taught how to manage their emotions, how to manage their anger, how to manage their sadness, how to manage their fears, uh, and pay attention in the moment to how to um, execute in moments of performance. Interesting so take, it, Ross. It, it, it varies. Very interesting take, and, and of course, a very small improvement can make a huge difference as well. Absolutely, because you may find that you know a small mental emotional advancement could make ninety five percent of a difference in performance. Really interesting. Well, on your website, Ross uh, GilesLLC.com, I want to mention again for listeners, I see that the LA Clippers coach. Uh, Doc Rivers has a great video endorsement of your work. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do for the LA Clippers and the U.S. Olympic Committee? Yeah, so with the Clippers, uh, it's very similar to how I mentioned before. I've worked with individual athletes uh, off the court and on the court. A lot of the off the court issues are are addressing their development personally, professionally, Um, what they want to do post-career, how they're managing lifestyles off the court. Um, and then on the court, of course, how they're improving performance. You know, are they pay- able to pay attention in you know, high-stress moments, high-stress environments? Uh, are they developing sound skills as we progress through an 82-game season and then into the playoffs, which is what we're coming up on pretty soon? Right. Well, we don't have an so, NBA team in Seattle, but, but you're right. <laughs> well, well, you know what, and I, and I hope that's going to change very soon. I, I heard that uh, you guys are – are close to some opportunities with Key Arena, uh, maybe looking at a hockey team and a professional basketball team uh, coming to the area. So I really hope it, it, that you guys have that opportunity. To see well, Ross, I just had to throw that in there, that you work for the Clippers, and we're, we're a little NBA vacant right now. This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Dr. Ross Flowers. Ross, uh, again, I read your book, uh, in your 2014 book, Introducing Your Child to Sports, and there's a lot of sections and chapters and some very good information and Ross, if you were to summarize a little bit about the advice that you give parents about child athletes, sum it up. I, I know your book has a lot of sections in it, but what's the best piece of advice you can give parents that have kids participating in sports at the youth level? Well, like I said, there's, there's a lot of information here because I've, I've answered questions that parents have asked me over my you know, you know, 15, 16 years of doing this work. I think the, one of the things that stands out the most to me that parents ask about and they seem to get the most out of my response is to always remember why you're involving your child in sports. And if it's for the benefit of your child's wellness and happiness and development, they're usually doing it for the right reasons. But once parents getting, get involved in sports or pushing their kids through sports, or pulling their kids through sports is because the parent is living out their unfulfilled dreams or they're looking for their child or they're driving their child to get that college scholarship or make that professional leap. Then they're usually looking at areas that are more detrimental to the child's development than beneficial. Good insights. So Ross, I've had a couple uh, former athletes on my show I've, and I've asked some questions about youth sports. For example, I had former NBA player Eldridge Kasner on, former NFL player Mark Pattison. There's just a couple where youth sports issues have come up. 
And I asked this question to Eldritch Kasner recently, Ross, and give me your take on this. You have a special background as a sports psychologist. There was a recent story in the Seattle Times about how one coach now wants to have the child present when talking to a parent about playing time and related issues. What do you think of that approach, Ross, by a coach? Uh, I think it's interesting because, it, and again, I'm not sure the circumstances of the sure. particular situation you're talking about, but I'd imagine, you know, in that environment, if it were me as a coach doing that or me as a psychologist working with a coach doing that, i use it as a teaching moment um, because it would hopefully be educating the young man or the young woman, uh, the, the student athlete or the athlete, about how to communicate clearly. Uh, so there's also an open line of communication be play, between player and athlete, and if the parent becomes involved – and the parent. Uh, and depending on that level, if it was, for example, a high school student athlete, I'd encourage the student athlete how to communicate clearly with me as a coach and the student athlete how to communicate clearly with their parent. So you're kind of intrigued by that approach. Parent. What's that? You're sort of intrigued by that approach? I am, because I, I think there's a, there's a great uh, learning opportunity. Um, and again, I, <laughs> I'm not there yet as a, as a parent, um, but I remember my parents and, you know, as I was in high school sports and I had some challenges, um, we didn't have, my parents at least were not helicopter parents. And one thing I've learned through my studies and my experiences, parents who are so involved and maybe too involved in their child's communication, they're taking their child's opportunity away from them, how to communicate clearly for themselves. Interesting. And particularly now, as we have so many kids that are inundated with electronics and their heads are down in their phones, in their iPads, or whatever their electronic is, their headphones are on, their communication skills are not as strong as they were, or as strong as they could be. Ross, so when we have opportunities as coaches, as parents, as sports psychologists to help people communicate clearly, I think we're, we're, we're doing a benefit to the student-athlete. This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Dr. Ross Flowers. Ross, I know in your book... You write about part of your mission, correct me if I'm wrong, is to improve self-esteem and self-confidence in an athlete. Um, I have a question, though, Ross, about overconfidence. Have you seen some problems that athletes have had over the years in having the opposite problem of lacking humility and being too overconfident? Have you addressed those issues at all as a sports psychologist? Yeah, I have. And I think what I've seen more are individuals who have been told that's great. That's great. Good job. Good job. Good job. Which by a coach, by a parent, an onlooker, whomever. And it gives them a false sense of reality. Uh, there are always areas of improvement and development, no matter what area, if it's sport, if it's whatever career path you're in. And I think as those who are supporting athletic growth and development, we have to be mindful of how we provide feedback, how we offer feedback, uh, Everything is not good. Everything is not great. Uh, every young athlete, student athlete, should not get an award for average performance. And I think we're doing our youth a disservice if we give a kid who's participated in a youth soccer league a trophy because they participated. It gives them a false sense of reality. They think they're going to be rewarded for every little thing that they do. Um, so I, I think that can build as years progress into an overconfidence. Hey, I'm great. Like, no, not, not really. You're, you're <laughs> kind of average. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think we as those supporters and encouraged motivators uh, have to be honest and, and have to provide the reward for 
skills and, 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 and attributes that are rewardable. Russ, you and I are, of course, the Generation X era. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting older a little bit. It just seems like humility skills aren't taught as much these days. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think it, it depends on the area that we're talking about. Um, but yes, I, I do think that's part of at least my approach of talking about self-awareness and teaching people how to be aware of not only their physical attributes, but how they present themselves personally and publicly, um, how they communicate. Um, and those areas, so as you teach and develop those skill sets to become self-aware and how to communicate clearly, part of that is talking about how to be humble. Uh, talk, part of that is talking about how to be respectful. Well, Ross, you know what? I got to tell you something. You almost answered one of my questions. You pretty much did. I have a bunch of questions written down. I'm not going to get to all of them today. I wish I had more time with you. I only have 20 minutes. But I actually had a question for you whether kids are getting too many participation trophies these days or whether that is not teaching kids to be gracious enough in defeat. I actually had a question for you about that, but but you answered it. Do you want to elaborate a little more? Well, yeah. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of participation awards and I and I have to admit I got caught up in it with my own kids as they were young first being introduced to sports because they saw other kids getting they wanted one um, but I came home and I talked to them about it and I said you know you, you get awards for great accomplishment um, you participated in a youth basketball league and you guys took fifth place <laughs> right you you may get a, a, a purple ribbon but uh, there shouldn't be this big buildup I don't think for rewarding with average. No, I, I uh, see we're your giving, point. We're giving too much away. I see your point. Paul Schneiderman again on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Ross Flowers. Ross, uh, in your book, you, you mentioned about coaching, and there's obviously different levels of coaches at the K-12 through level, and some are outstanding, some are less so. There's definitely a range. And it would be great if, if coaches could all have a, a copy of your book introducing to, to your child in sports, but in general, Ross, what, what can we do? What can little leagues do to give coaches and parents more insights about these psychological aspects of kids playing sports? Well, one thing I think we can do a much better job of in the States is requiring educational uh, programming, teaching uh, people how to be coaches not just because you're a parent of a child on the team, okay, you're qualified to be a coach because you love your child. Uh, we can do a much better job through our educational programs, uh, teaching them about motor learning, teaching them how to coach a six- to eight-year-old compared to a high school kid. Very, very different styles of coaching. Sure. Very different styles of teaching. We don't do that as much in the States as they do, say, in other countries in Europe. And I think we can do a much better job of requiring certain educational programs be fulfilled before you jump into youth coaching because I think more kids and parents are damaged through youth sports than they are benefiting. Ross, sure makes sense to me what you just said. I mean, we require a driver's license tests. We require beauticians to be tested. Why shouldn't Little League coaches have their own testing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it's too easy just because you love your, your own child to go coach 15 other kids. And I, I think... In, in youth sports, there are, are, are more coaches, unfortunately, in my experience, uh, not as a parent, but also as someone witnessing uh, other coaches through my different professional experiences who 
are, for example, yellers and screamers at youth kid, kids and youth sports. And you would never see that in a classroom. So why should we expect that? And why do we allow that on an athletic field? Yeah, I think you're on to saying, Ross. I remember as a kid that some of the yellers and screamers as coaches weren't always the best. It's sort of the Bobby Knight disease, right, Ross? Yeah. You know, what, what are we really teaching our, our, our kids? So, and what I've learned through sports psychology, what I teach is you yell and you scream at a kid, what are they going to do? They're going to tense up. They're going to freeze. I'm in trouble. Oh, my God, what do I do? And that just, if anything, negates what you want in athletics. You want to be loose. You want to be free. You want to be acting and reacting to whatever sport you're playing. But if we're yelling and screaming at kids, we're, we're inhibiting them instead of allowing them to open up and be, and be free learners. So I think that's, that's a very wrong approach that we can do a much better job at changing. Good points, good points. Paul Schneiderman again on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue with Ross Flowers. Ross, we have a couple minutes left, and uh, I want to ask you a question about football. Football, the concussion issues, getting a lot of attention. What are your general thoughts, Ross, about kids playing contact sports such as football or boxing? Do you, back to football for a second. Do, do you believe in, that kids should play football? Yeah, man, I know that's a, a hot topic and something that parents should take into great consideration when they're considering injuring their kids, in, whether it's football, whether it's soccer. I mean, there's a great degree of concussion in soccer, lacrosse, rugby. There's so many sports now where, you know, it, it, the physical sport where concussions are, their kid can be susceptible to concussions. The parents have to do their research. And I talk about this in my book. Uh, research the programs you're involving yourself, your family, as well as your child in. Uh, make sure that the coaching is coaching correct, if it's football, correct tackling. Um, so children are not susceptible to not just concussions, but, you know, in other injuries, uh, internal or, or, or broken bones. Great stuff, Russ. Right. Russ, we have less than a minute left. Um, and I want to recommend the listeners go to uh, GilesLLC.com and, and get a copy of your book. What does the future hold for Ross Flowers? Great question. You know, I, I last, we're not too far off the beginning of the year, so I, I always ask myself, what can I be doing, uh, ten, what would I be doing 10 years from now? Um, I think I'll be doing a lot of the same. Current situation of working with, you know, professional, fo- professional football to L.A. Rams uh, and professional basketball with the L.A. Uh, Clippers, uh, doing some, some consulting on the side with UCLA uh, and other individual clients. But I think in the future, I'll, I would like to be doing more teaching, more mentoring of people who will be doing the work that I'm currently doing, and I'd be able to uh, do more management of sports psychology services. Great stuff, Ross. Thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff. It's you and I stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Paul. You take care.